Would you stir in our hearts a longing and a desire to be closer to you?
Worship team, I'm going to have you sing that chorus here again in a moment. Something I tried to pass on to my kids as I help, as I attempt to disciple them is that I never want them to wander too far from the voice of God. I can be so like, you know, there's so many things I want to pray over them, right? I can pray over this and that and the other. But at the end of the day, for myself and my kids, for my family, I, I want us to be able to have our ears tuned to the Lord because there's going to be so many distractions and so, many white, so much white noise and so many other voices trying to speak into them that I want them to be able to hear the voice of their Heavenly Father who loves them so much through all the other noise and all the other chatter and all the other things. And as we were singing this song this morning about the Lord, like pulling closer to Him, I was reminded that maybe you're, during this particular week, you find yourself being overwhelmed by the voices of this world. That you find yourself being overwhelmed by the voices of conflict. And, and when we do that, here's what I believe is our tendency often. That when the world pushes against you, or maybe in relationship things push against you, or you find yourself in conflict, it's very easy to look like the world and assume that, like, man, if someone's angry at me, I'm going to get angry at them. If someone pushes on me, I'm going to push on them. And we use these tactics thinking that it's all about the physical world right in front of us. But can I tell you something today? That so often what is happening in the physical, we have to be reminded that there is a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And your Heavenly Father wants to draw you closer to remind you that you're all like pent up and angry in the physical and you've forgotten that there are spiritual forces, that our fight is not against flesh and blood. Your fight is not against people in this world. Your fight is not against your spouse. Your fight is not against your kids. Your fight is against the enemy who's trying to destroy all of that. And it's so easy to listen to the voices of this world and do things the way this world does it rather than listening to the voice of your Heavenly Father who wants to remind you. So here's what we're going to do. They're going to sing this song again. And I know you got people up in the, in the balcony, and if you want to, you can stand and you can just raise your hands as just a testimony of surrender. But I want to invite you this morning that if you would be so bold, that if you want to draw closer physically, there's nothing mystical or magical, it's just a way that we posture ourselves. I want to invite you to come down to the altar right now and just take on an attitude and a posture of surrender and say, God... I've been trying to fight in the physical and you're reminding me in this moment to listen to your voice and to remember that the battle is in the spiritual realm. And guess who won the battle already in the spiritual realm? Amen? So I invite you to draw closer tangibly as the team sings this chorus one more time. The altars are open. I invite you to come forward and take a posture of surrender this morning.
So God, this morning we come with the weapons of intercession. We come with the weapon of praise. We come with a tactic that says, God, would you pour out your spirit upon us, God? Would you remind us of how much you love us, God? Would you show us your heart so that as we operate in this world and as we operate in relationships and as we intercede and as we battle in the spiritual realm, God, that we wouldn't do it with our agenda, but we would know the heart of our Heavenly Father. I pray for strongholds to break free this morning, God. I pray for chains to be broken. I pray for conflict, where there's conflict, that there would be peace, Father. I pray where the enemy seems to just constantly be digging over and over and over again, we would remind ourselves that we are not alone. We don't face the enemy alone, but it is by your spirit that we we stand strong and courageous. Because you have won the battle. Christ Jesus has conquered sin and death. The enemy does not have the victory. And you have no rights, enemy, to this space. This is sacred, holy ground that we stand upon today. God, do not let us give in to the counterfeit tactics of this world. Teach us, God. Teach us. Teach us how to battle in the spiritual world. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for those that have gathered at the altar. We thank you for those who are in their seats, God. May they find themselves in just a posture and a heart attitude of surrender. God, the burden that they are carrying that's weighing them down. The thing that seems insurmountable, the mountain that doesn't seem to be able to move, God, would they know that you are with them? That you are the good shepherd. That you walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death so that they can fear no evil. Why? Because you are with them. Your rod and your staff, they comfort them. You anoint their head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemy, I've got a buffet table. God, you are with us. You are closer. The question is, God, will we recognize how close you are? Will we recognize your presence? Tune our ears, tune our eyes, tune our heart, tune our minds towards your closeness. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Let's give God some praise this morning. Hallelujah. It's only just begun. God has more for you to hear. We begin a brand new series called Parables, uh, or called Storyteller, Unpacking the Parables of Jesus. And we want to have ears to hear and hearts to receive. And as our ushers come forward and we continue in our time of worship, I want to remind you of a couple of things about, um, about this series. First of all, 
you want to take out your phone. I got a couple things. It's okay. You can take out your phone in church. There's a couple things that you need to know. First of all, um, you can text STORY to 805-979-2003. 805-979-2003. That is, you can text STORY to that. It's also on your bookmark right here if you forget. It's a great way to stay connected to this particular series this coming summer. On that bookmark, there's a reading plan. We want you to stay connected, not only in God's word, but connected with this family right here. We know you're going to take time to get away with your family. We're excited about that. We want to just bless you in your travels and in your vacation time, but just a way to stay connected here with what's going on in the series. Also, flip over to your calendar June 25th, you're going to want to circle that date, June 25th. And the reason you want to circle that date is for a couple of reasons. In the morning, we are going to be celebrating Pastor Vince Lamas and his retirement of his credentials. Now, this is what this means. Um, When we retire somebody's credentials, it's because we retire their credentials in good standing. Can we say amen that Pastor Vince is in good standing? Amen. Which means he can utilize those credentials from here on out in his retirement years. And so we want to celebrate that. It's not too often um, that you have one of our six general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene. We're a global denomination. We have six general superintendents. And the one who has jurisdiction over our church right now um, has, uh, is going to be here that Sunday preaching. And she is going to retire his credentials. So really awesome that we get to celebrate and, and have that done in that particular service. Then, at night, 7 p.m., I know it's going to be a long day. It's all right. At night on June 25th, at 7 p.m., we have three individuals being ordained in the Church of the Nazarene as ministers of the gospel. And so, uh, Dan McKinley, Pastor Dan McKinley, Pastor Gina um, Nicola, and then Pastor Nick um, Valente are all going to be ordained on June 25th. There's two aspects of ordination that are important. There's the movement of the Holy Spirit in the believer in the individual's life, the calling that the Holy Spirit has prompted them in, but there's also the assurance or the affirmation of the body of Christ. And so on June 25th, that's what we are doing. We are affirming the calling, the gifts and graces that we see in those individuals. They'll gather up here, we'll lay hands on them, and we will pray for them as ministers of the gospel. And so again, June 25th is an important day in the life of New Life and some of our our pastoral staff, and so you're going to want to be a part of that. Then last but not least, um, this is the season, if you're new to New Life, this is the season where we enter into um, individuals who will be rotating off of our church board and nominating and rotating people on our church board. Here is our current church board members, and I want to remind you of a couple of things of the way that we um, do this process here and some of what we consider qualifications. The very first thing that is a qualification for a church board member is that they have spiritual vibrancy. That means that they are above reproach. That means that they have a deep, rich relationship with the Lord, that they are listening into the Holy Spirit and, uh, and walking in step with the Spirit. And so we are reminded of the importance of spiritual vibrancy when it comes to the nomination of new church board members. The second thing is that they have to be a member for at least a year as well well as they have to contribute with their time, energy, and resources, meaning they have to be serving somewhere. They have to be invested in the life of new life, and we want them uh, already working in that way. Church board uh, ministry is not the only ministry of those individuals on here. Either they're serving in the new life or in our community. They, we, want to have to, we want to make sure that we have... Um, 
that we have a, a, a good representation of spiritual gifts represented. Uh, not everybody has the same spiritual gift. That's okay. That's a good thing. And so we want to encourage people to utilize their spiritual gifts so that when we come together, there is a sharpening and an iron sharpening iron in terms of uh, where the Lord is leading us. So we have people um, who have a variety of different spiritual gifts. And we want different gospel perspectives. We've talked about this before. Um, this is something that's really important to us. There is nobody who will uh, hear the gospel and live into the gospel and proclaim the gospel quite like you will. We are all unique in that. And so we want individuals uh, on our board. We want men and women on the board because uh, they see the gospel in slightly um, unique ways. Uh, same gospel, but there's different aspects of that, that kind of uh, filter to the top. We want individuals of different generations on the church board. We want people from different backgrounds and ethnicity on the church board because we believe it is important to see um, the life teaching death and resurrection from different life perspectives. And that shapes how we do things and it allows us to sharpen each other. And so one of the things that we are careful at here, it's easy to get into um, a nominating situation or a church board situation where we um, elect people based on name recognition and popularity and not on those criteria that I just kind of listed, okay? And so what we do is the church staff in working with the current church board, we bring about 15 to 20 names depending on the number of people that need to be nominated. Sometimes it's as many as 30 depending on the year. But this year we needed two individuals to be nominated for the church board. And so we bring those names. We seek the Lord. We, we look at the criteria that we have set. And then we bring those nominated individuals uh, to the congregation. And so the two individuals that are being nominated this year for church board leadership are Kenny Northcote and Stephen Field. And both of the um, – Kenny Northcote would be returning to the church board. He actually has served before Stephen, would be a first-time uh, board member. There is a bio that we have written up for you. Again, I know how it is. You go to like – when we go um, like elect officials in our community, you're like, oh, I know this person, this person. But then you get to like the um, Cuesta or the Hancock trustees. You know what I'm talking about? Like you don't know who they are. You don't know what process has gone, gone on. And so this is why we want to make sure that we are transparent. We have a criteria, and there's a bio that will tell you a little bit about who these individuals are. You can pick that up at the Connection uh, Central and, uh, and be able to read about them and pray about, pray for them and about them this week. And also, and both of these individuals know that every time we elect a board member, this is what I say. We have interviewed. We have checked uh, our criteria for a board member, and in our perspective, from our perspective, these two individuals meet every one of those qualifications. But if you know something that we don't know, they know I'm going to say this. Every board member knows. If you know something that we don't know that would disqualify them for service, then we would ask that you would come and share that with us this coming week, Okay. We have full transparency, and we want full confidence in those who are helping to lead our church. And so they know that I'm going to ask you that. They know that we have to uh, be above reproach when it comes to this type of leadership. And so I want to encourage you um, in that. So pray for these individuals. Look at their bio. And then next week, unless you know of something that we don't know and you need to share that with us, I would encourage you um, to give an affirmation vote of yes next week. Um, 
because these individuals have been interviewed, they've been prayed over, we have sought the Lord, and now we're inviting the congregation as a whole into this particular process that you might also be able to affirm these individuals for church board leadership, all right? I know for some people it's a little bit different, but we, I pray that you hear the heartbeat behind why we do things this way and the importance of having a church board that is, isn't um, a bunch of people who simply are saying, uh, who, who all think alike, but individuals where iron is sharpening iron, and we are discovering the best ways to live out what it means to follow Jesus in the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. I had a lot of announcements this morning. I got to make sure I'm not used to this part of it, and so sometimes I get lost. All right. I think I did everything correctly. They're going to be really proud of me for this. This morning, this morning um, we have the opportunity to hear from Pastor Philip, he's going to be bringing the word this morning, and so I'm excited for what the Lord has been stirring in him. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads um, and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray for Phil and for, uh, and for what he's going to bring, and then be ready to open up your ears to what the Lord has to say. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would come, and God, you would remind us of who you are. That God, Stories you would give us, are... that you would give us um, just a sense of your presence, that God, you would fill Philip with your presence, that God, we would hear not from him, but from you, and that God, as you said so often in the parables, God, give us ears that we might hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To cut through to the heart. Stories are the language of the soul. They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus's way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. Well, church, good morning. Um, before we, man, golly, before we start, I want to welcome those online. My family's watching from North Carolina. Love you, family. Uh, those watching on the patio, thank you for being here. Those in the room, thank you for being here. Um, I want to, um, um, I'm having a hard time this morning, so I, um, no, 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 stop, please, uh, I'm sorry. I know you're trying to encourage me, but um, 
I want to, uh, I don't even know where to go, Pastor. I don't even know where to go. Um, of course, I want to like open up the series and like talk about the Jesus being the farmer who scatters his seeds on all these four types of soil. That's where I was going. That's where I may still go, depending on timing. But as we worshiped and we sang um, that last song, you know, I want to get closer to your heart, Lord. Um, and then... Um, Oh, be ready to bless me because you're about to come up here. (laughs) Well, I hope you come down here. So I want to. Okay, during that during that time, you know, I, I was back behind that little curtain. Pastor David was calling us up to the front uh, as we are going to take communion this morning. Um, and I, I just want to invite the, uh, any, gosh. Um, any elder size mowers? Pastor, you and Dana, any elder, any board member to come up, uh, just to stand up here. And then what I'm going to do is I feel like the Holy Spirit. Wants to, uh, as we talk about parables, the, uh, marriage is a, is a parable. Marriage is an illustration of what Christ is to the church. And I want to invite my wife to come up and, um. She has no clue this is happening. But also, as I invite me and my wife up to receive prayer from the elders, um, to be, we want to be a hot church, an open, honest, and transparent church. And so I want to invite anyone else in this congregation. We're going to actually come down, and if you actually want to receive prayer over your marriage, before we jump into God's word, um, as David said, like we're not, we're not um, fighting a... Flesh and blood, we're, like, we're not fighting against our spouses. We're not fighting against our kids. It's a spiritual battle, and the marriage is important. A man and a wife, church, don't get this twisted. And a marriage is supposed to reflect Jesus and his love for his church. And so he used that, in, or Paul used that in Ephesians 5 to be an illustration, a parable, if you will, to communicate the kingdom of God. And so can I invite everyone else? So me and Audrey are going to come down to the floor. So, and if you want to receive prayer over your marriage, this is what I feel like the Spirit wanted to do this morning. I want to invite you to come and let the elders, James says, let the elders of the church pray over you. And I want to receive prayer over our elders. And so I want to invite anyone else that wants to come forward. To, to, to Sorry to interrupt our regularly scheduled program. And I'm not saying that your marriage is struggling, that you are like on the brink of divorce or anything like that. But if you just want prayer for your marriage, come forward and let, let the elders of the church lay hands and pray over our marriages of our church. Because this is a picture of what Christ, how he loves his church. And I need help in that area. So before I even open God's word, I just want us to pray. Pray. <laughs> 
remind you of is that when we pray, we agree in prayer. Yes. And so while I might be praying on the microphone, I want you to be praying aloud and uh, agreeing in prayer and praying what the Spirit prompts you in. Because it might be something that uh, he's not prompting me in, but what needs to be said, needs to be interceded for. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we gather here and we lift up not only Philip and Audrey, but all those who have yes, gathered up here, God, and said, you know what? Relationships are hard. Yes. And God, he's right. You have given us the ability to come together and to unite, not, not out of any other reason than the fact that, God, we will be a greater witness to the world about the way that we forgive one another and the way that we love one another unconditionally, the way that we, we care for one another and we bear with one another, God. The way that we support one another, the way that we encourage one another, Lord. And so, God, we ask right now for your Holy Spirit to fall afresh on the marriages of our church. God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would strengthen them, God. God, that we would find ourselves so much that we get into in that marriage covenant ends up, ends up slowly becoming my way or your way or conflict. And God, you have called us to serve one another. You have called us to care for one another. God, you have called us to respect one another. You have called us to intercede for one another. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come afresh and anew. I pray for those individuals right now, God, that that find themselves kind of like in a lost conflict situation. God, I pray that you would bring resolution and peace. God, it's so easy to see each other through our hurt lenses. People that we've been hurt through in our life, the ways that we've hurt each other. God, would you allow us to experience your restoration this morning? God, would you, would the words, God, and a godly marriage is not conflict free. A godly marriage is a marriage built on restoration and resurrection. A godly marriage is built on Christ and him crucified. A godly marriage is built on the infilling of the Holy Spirit that we might, when we relate to one another, be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Holy Spirit, fall on us afresh. And God, I know the enemy wants to isolate us. Wants to isolate us as individuals, but even as married couples, and that we would think we're the only one. We're the only one in this battle. We're the only one with this conflict. We're the only one with this struggle. God, would you break down that lie this morning and remind us that we are one body and that we bear each other's burdens together and we sharpen one another and we intercede for one another and we encourage one another and we are never alone because you are with us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the prompting of your Holy Spirit to interrupt the regularly scheduled program (laughs) because your agenda is more important than ours. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Um, there was no way I could have just jumped in without feeling that, like we should do that. And so I would apologize, but I'm not going to. Um, I do want to say one thing as um, I've seen this right here, this bookmark. Um, Dana, I mean, not Dana, sorry. Uh, Elena does such a great job of, of helping our church with resources beyond Sunday morning. And so when I was looking at this, I was like, this is number one, like a cool design. And number two, like it helps us like track like all the parables throughout the summer. Because this is what we're going to be in is, the, is Jesus's parables um, the whole summer. And so it gives you a bookmark of where all the parables are. So you can look at them, actually look at all of them as we move through some of them um, throughout this summer. And then um, I would encourage you to text STORY to 805-979-2003 because they are, they, there are um, like little short YouTube video, not YouTube, just videos that we'll put on YouTube probably to, to walk you through like a devotional through the summer of the parable. So I want to encourage you to do that as well, to stay engaged in God's word beyond Sunday morning. Um, and then on the back, there's a bucket list of like getting involved in like reading um, other books that support parables or just books that are like, um, just in, like, or not just books. There, there's a lot of stuff on here, like just a bucket list to do, like make a meal from scratch, you know, like all kind of fun stuff. And so this is, these are things that you can not do with, by, by yourself, but include other people to make it fun. And so, uh, Landa, thank you for making these. I think it's cool. Um, and it's a, it's a bookmark. My kids love bookmarks. So I'm going to give, get two of those for my kids. Um, but as we jump into the parables, um, can I sit down th this morning? Is it okay? And I'll sit here so people won't lie, so my family can see me in North Carolina. Um, and so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Um, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at, I'm going to read 23 verses and then uh, just talk about a few of them. But, but I do definitely don't want to take too much time. Um, I feel like God is helping me hone in on some things. And so I will not be here for three hours with you teaching, um, but because I, I do want us to uh, partake in communion together as a church, to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us what, through his broken body, because by his stripes we are healed, and then through his blood that was shed uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And so I definitely want us to get, have time for that. But um, as I've told you, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to actually invite you, if you're able to, stand to your feet as we read God's word. I'm going to read all of it, and then we're going to jump into it. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, we want to encourage you to uh, just put your eyes on the screen. But I do want to challenge you that this summer, this summer should be a BYOB to church. Bring your own Bible <laughs> to church on Sunday so you can have God's word in front of you. Amen? Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he started there. Then he sat there and taught as people stood on the shore. He told many stories in, forms, in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seed fell on shallow soil and underlying rock. These seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon withered under the hot sun, and since they did not have deep roots, they died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil 
And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. Imagine being in a crowd and Jesus just stops his, his, his teaching. Cool. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to these people? This is the moment where you can be straight to the point, give them clear gospel, and you want to be using parables? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, this is, and then this is an example to us that if Jesus quotes scripture, we should have scripture inside of us so we can quote too. When your heart, uh, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let, them heal, and let me heal them. But blessed are you in your eyes because you see and, you, and your ears because they hear, and I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they did not see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Now listen to the explanation of this parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represented those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil, the evil one comes and snatches, it, snatches that seed away that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But, they, but since they do, don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away, and as soon as the problems or they're persecuted for believing God's word, the seed that fell among the thorns represented those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced." The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as been planted. This is God's word. You may be seated. You may be seated. So in verse one, um, it says later that someday, um, you know, so at this point, Jesus has been doing ministry um, kind of, um, closer to the um, synagogue and closer to like like the, the religious people, and so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people in this crowd. As verse two, as verse two says, a, a large crowd soon gathered around him, so that because of that he got into a boat, because, so he can, his voice can project over the water. And so just like today, there's a large crowd that is gathered to hear God's word, to hear Jesus teach. And so we're going to go on and talk about and um, the, the crowds later. And he says that he sat there and, and began to teach the people. So what do you think in a crowd, because crowds often formed around Jesus, what do you think would have, you would have heard Jesus taught on a regular day? Or if you could sum up Jesus' teachings, what would you sum up those teachings? Uh, some of us in the crowd would say, I don't know. I'm just a part of the crowd. Some of us would say, well, probably love God and love people. Others of us would say something like, 
the golden rule, like, do unto others as you would do unto me, which I would say you would hear those things, but that's not the overarching theme of what Jesus came to teach. So let's do a quick little Bible study real quick. So if you turn back to one of the Gospel of Matthew, so if you look over at Matthew chapter four, we actually get some of what Jesus came to act, like his message. It says this, uh, Matthew four, so write this scripture down. Matthew four, verse 17, it says this, and from then on, Jesus began to preach this message. Repent, which means pay attention, turn around of your sin and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near, or it's at hand, or it's right now. You go on to, uh, if, if you keep going, Jesus now starts to call people to follow him. And even in that, he goes on to address another crowd. In Matthew chapter 4, verse beginning in 23, it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about what? The kingdom. And then he healed every kind of disease and illness. And news spread about him everywhere and large crowds followed him wherever he went from people from Galilee and the 10 towns in Jerusalem and all over the area in Jerusalem Matthew, Matthew 5 1 on one day he he saw the crowds gathering and Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down this is a trend of Jesus he goes up or he he goes somewhere and he tends to sit down and then he begins to teach, not just love your neighbor. Yeah, that's all there, but this is all, all about the kingdom of God. And he uses parables, short stories, illustrations to give us clues on what the kingdom of God is actually like. And this is nothing new. The prophets of old did the same thing. This is even since the very beginning of page one of your Bible, God is, 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 is using this type of illustrations, these stories to teach his people about his kingdom. What is God's kingdom? I'm glad you asked. God's kingdom is, 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 is one day God came and, not, I don't think he came, he just kind of, he was just always there. God's always been present, by the way. He, is, he was not created, as some would think. Um, and so God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. We all know that portion of the Bible. And then when God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do? He, he created all these things and he said everything was very good. And then he created humans and he says, I want, I want to create them um, and then I want them to have dominion and rule over everything I've created. So he's given you and I dominion and authority to rule over things that he created, which is out, outside these doors. So you and I have authority still to rule and reign God's kingdom. When he first created. And so this is what, and but, but then what, what, what happened in the very beginning of the story? Well, well, sin entered into the story and people became corrupt. We became corrupt and evil and back, backstabbing each other and killing each other and lying on each other and cheating on each other and gossiping about each other. And what, and what happens when that happens in a society? God's kingdom becomes, as, as uh, the book of Romans says, like now Creation is waiting eagerly for the sons of God, sons and daughters of God to be revealed. So even creation is experiencing some sort of decay because of sin, because the results of sin is death. And so now as, we, as Jesus comes in the scene, you had God creating a beautiful world and he, he gave us authority to rule over it. And then from there, you got prophets and kings and priests and Levites to try to take, maintain God's rule and, 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 and his kingdom in the earth, and then they also fail. And then Jesus comes, and he's one that does not fail. 
And he comes and says, okay, just like I, me and my father in the spirit gave y'all as humans authority to rule and reign and continue this, 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 this uh, kingdom that I'd established on the earth, um, y'all couldn't do that. So my son Jesus is gonna come and do that. And so Jesus comes to pronounce this, this message about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is not coming one day, even though it will come one day. It's not like when we die, the kingdom, we just go to heaven. No, it says that the Bible teaches that when we die, or when, the, when there's the end of things, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is going to invade this earth that God created. So there's gonna be a merging of our world and God's world. So are we ruling now? Are we taking care of stuff now? Because it ain't going away. God's gonna merge, and his kingdom's going to be established one day. If you read the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, he will establish his kingdom on the earth. He will be the king. He will have uh, rule and reign, and we will be a part of that with him, submitting to him, and so we should be submitting to him today and not just waiting to the end. So this is what we would have heard Jesus talking about. The kingdom of God, his rule and reign on the earth. And this is the main, and so as you look at the, uh, the, the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the same language, over 40 to 50 times in this short letter or this short gospel. So the kingdom was God's main or Jesus' main message, not just what we like to pick and choose out of his main message, like just forgiveness of sins or, or you, we're all going to hell so we should repent of our sins. No, these are things that Jesus talked about, but in a, the big picture was the kingdom of God is at hand. So because it is at hand, you and I have to do something right now. Turn from our sin and turn back to God. This is a part of the kingdom. Repentance is a part of the kingdom. And Jesus uses parables to teach us about the kingdom and how that looks to repent of our sins and turn away from ourselves and turn to God so that the world will know, the world, an unbelieving world, would know that the, those who believe in Christ, that there is a God in heaven, that there is a God that created everything, that there is a God that lives inside of us. And because of our actions, and we live according to God's word and according to his teachings, that people know that we are his disciples by the way that Jesus taught. The kingdom is that we love each other. That's how people know that we are truly disciples of Jesus. Not who you vote for in this upcoming year. That's not how people know that you are a believer in Jesus. Not if you cuss or not cuss. Not if you don't drink or, or, or do drink. Like these things, it's about how we as the believers, as body of Christ, love one another. As Jesus loved us. And he gave himself for us. So he was, our, he was our example as the king over his kingdom. And then he tells stories about what the kingdom of God is like. And I know some of y'all in this room could teach this better than I can. So just amuse me for a second. <laughs> so one day he saw the crowds gathering. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and recognize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is near. So flip over to uh, Matthew chapter 9 as well. We have the same thing. Jesus, all towns and villages of that area, teaching in their synagogues and announcing the kingdom or the good news about the kingdom. And he healed. And when, the, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So tonight, tonight, this morning, Jesus sees us in this room and he has compassion on us. This is a good God. That he would, he would not just look at the crowd and teach the crowd, but he would look at the crowd, have compassion on the crowd, and then begin to teach about his kingdom. So as we look over the parables this summer, 
I want you to keep this in mind. This is what Jesus' main message was about. It was about the kingdom. And he uses short stories and illustrations to give us clues about what the kingdom of God is like. And so today we have, we have the story of a farmer scattering seeds. Some of you know this story as the, the parable of the sower. It should be called the parable of the soils. Because this, this scripture, I'm not gonna teach this scripture in a, in a sense of like, you and I are the farmer who plants our seed. And then we gotta plant the gospel. We gotta throw seeds in the gospel air. And if people reject you, they reject, nope. That's not true. That we are not the heroes of any story. The farmer that scattered seed is God who scattered his seed of the word of God. And the scripture teaches in Isaiah that the word of God will not return back to him void. So his word is going to accomplish what it accomplished through the power of the spirit. We don't know how all that stuff works. Just like if you love planting or having a garden. I know when me and my wife got married for the, like, we've been married 10 years. In our first year of marriage, we uh, plant, we had a, uh, we were living here in, in um, Slow, and we uh, got a 10 by 10 garden plot out on, is it um, Avila, Apple? Yes, whatever that thing is, yes. Uh, where the apple trees are and all that stuff. And so me, and that was our first project as a married couple. And I've never planted planted seeds, anything like that in my life. So that was new to me. Uh, it was a lot of work, because um, all that stuff, because you gotta break up hard ground, you gotta, you gotta think about the gophers, you got all this stuff you gotta think about. But it, but it was so cool that we had, that was our first project together as a married couple, and then it was so cool to see things that we planted, we come almost every day or every other day to water, take care, pull weeds, all this stuff that you have to do, and then all of a sudden stuff starts growing, you're like, hey, look at that, I grew that. This is awesome. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, I got so much zucchini, I don't know what to do with. <laughs> and so it's like bringing, bringing zucchini to church and giving it to people, and you're like swapping fruit with each other. It was so cool. And so it's like that. Like, we don't know how seeds actually, I mean, I know some smart people do know, but the common person like myself, I, you plant a seed, you bury it, you water it, you take care of it, like, and then the, the seed has to die in order for life to happen, Right? And just like this, God's word has to be planted into your heart. And so these four soils give us an indication of what type of soil is, do you have? Are you functioning in? And so it, he goes on to say this. He told many stories in forms of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. God, he's, he's throwing his word out. He scattered some seed across the field. Some seed fell on a footpath, and he came and ate it. Others fell on some shallow soil and underlying rock, so basically, I'm just gonna give you the four because we don't have much time and I wanna get into communion. You got the footpath, you got the rocky soil, you got the thorny soil, and then you got the good soil. Four soils. You know, I'm sure everyone in this room has heard this preached so many times. You're like, oh, wah, 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 wah. I already know what you're gonna say, Philip. But in this time, in, in, the early, in the first century, Jesus was not just the savior of the world. People didn't know him as the savior yet, as the Messiah yet. This has not been revealed to people yet. What he was known to in his time was a rabbi, a teacher. And this was common in the first century as rabbis and teachers would use this type of template to teach their disciples, their students. They would use this type. And so it was not uncommon for disciples of rabbis to hear their teacher talk in riddles. Talk in parables. And so he goes on, to, and then so the, as he's talking about this, the disciples say, hey, Jesus. Um, now, this is my translation. Hey, man. Um, why are you talking like this? Can you help us out? And so Jesus on, then begins to say, you have been permitted to hear. 
So you got to think about, okay, if the disciples closest to Jesus had to ask, why do you teach in, t- in parables? Jesus gives us the answer into why he teaches in parables, and he quotes scripture. And I, and I do want you to write this scripture down, Matthew chapter 5, or 13, I'm sorry, verse um, 34. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like this to like this when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. So why did rabbis do this? Why does our rabbi, our savior, our Messiah do this? And if you and I would have been there, we would ask Jesus the same question. Why are you teaching like this? And he goes on to give the explanation. Luckily for us, and luckily for me, I have the explanation of the, the, of the parable, so I don't have to teach you too much. But then he goes on to talk about, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. For, but for those who are not listening, even what little they have will be taken away. This is, what the, this is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't, they don't really see me, and they hear, but they don't really understand or listen to me. So you got to think about who was in the crowd, you got to think about uh, Matthew chapter 11 and 12 as well. The two chapters before 13, this is very strategic with the, pers- like the, the writer, Matthew, writing this gospel to the Jewish audience of his time. He wanted the Jewish people of his day to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and so he strategically put things in order like he did. So he put, like natural, chapter 11, chapter 12 before chapter 13. And then if you look at chapter 11 and chapter 12, what is... What, how are people responding to the message of the kingdom? Well, you got his cousin, John the Baptist, responding like, and he's in jail. He's like, uh, sending his disciples to, to go talk to Jesus and say, hey, are you the one that we're supposed to be looking for? Or should we wait for somebody else? Because, so there's doubt. There's, there's even his cousin who knows who Jesus is, is unsure. You got other people, who, who else is a part of the crowd? We got people in the crowd that are, in, that are indifferent. They're only gathering because Jesus did something in their town. He fed 5,000 or he healed somebody that couldn't see, or he healed somebody that couldn't walk. And so he's doing signs and miracles and wonders in their town, in their regular town. And this is causing crowds to gather and follow Jesus wherever he goes. So you gotta think about who's in the crowd when Jesus is tearing this par- telling this, this parable. You got all these people. You got religious people that are like, we about to kill him. Because Jesus is... Jesus is, is, is coming against everything that they're teaching. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, we get this famous scripture that I love to use when, when people in ministry are so tired and worn out, burned out on religion. We always say, come to Jesus. He'll give you rest for your soul. No, this, that's good and all, but like why he's saying that is because the religious people are giving, giving uh, making uh, people, uh, people in their time, making it very difficult for them to follow God's rules, follow God's law. Follow God's teachings. And so they put a heavy yoke on their disciples and yet they don't lift a finger to help them. So this is why Jesus comes and he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching upon you because it's easy and light. So it's teaching. It's not about us being tired and worn out and come to Jesus for rest. That's good and all. But he also gave us a day in the week called Sabbath so that we, don't, we can just do that naturally. But why he's telling his disciples and why he's telling us to come to him if you're weary and heavy, heavy burdened is because there's, there's teaching in our world that's, he- that's heavy that we're trying to carry. We're trying to do good in God's eyes by keeping God's word. And Jesus says, take my teaching upon you. My teaching's easier than all those religious teachers. 
And all these other religions in our society today, like, we, thank God we are not like, and Jehovah's Witness that we have to go around knocking on doors, being awkward in front of people, because no one wants to go to a door and knock on it. No one wants to open a door that's being knocked on. Let's be real. But yet, you got other religions in our time going around trying to do good works in order to be made right with God. And yet, it, that's not how it is for, for us as believers of Jesus. Jesus establishes this in Ephesians 4, that, or Ephesians 2, my bad, that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has already prepared for us to do. And that is those good works that are prepared for us to do come after we, we believe in the work of Jesus. Then those good works come. We don't have to do good works to earn God's love. We believe in Jesus, and that's the work that we do. That's the work of believing in Jesus continually. That's the work God wants us to do. Continue to believe, continue to believe, continue to believe. And then after you've already believed in Jesus and he's accomplished the work of reconciling people back to God through the cross, then, we, then there's good works that God prepared for us in advance. So this is what Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, let me teach you. And then he says, come to me because my teaching's easy. And then he uses parables. <laughs> Jesus, teaching ain't that easy. And you got people actually leaving Jesus after he teaches. You got crowds of people always turning around, and we get it recorded in scripture. It says people often left Jesus and stopped following him because his teaching was too hard to understand. His teaching was too hard to understand or to, or to get or to understand. And this is why he teaches because he says, to those who actually listen to my teaching, you will be actually drawn in and you're like, and, and you actually come like the disciples. So this is a time that we can use the, the uh, disciples as an example. When there's something hard in scripture that you're reading, don't, don't just start Googling stuff. Don't just hit chat GBT and talk to AI. But go to God and say, what, is, what, do you, what do you mean by this? Go to some people in your life and say, what does God say when he says this? This is what Jesus is saying. It says, to those who have ears, come here. It means those who have good soil. That's what that means. That's my cue. Band, come up. I said good soil. <laughs> they tell me to give them a cue, you know. But because, it, because the crowds of people, they would hear Jesus all the times, but yet some people were just coming to him because he was doing things and they wanted his power and they didn't want him. And his disciples are our example in this parable because Jesus says, when the seed of God falls on good soil, it's going to produce a harvest 30, 60, or even 100 times and I could get into all the teachings, and I, what I wanted to do is I have notes up here on my phone that I was going to kind of walk you through, like, what a Jewish person would do when he'd say four things. There's always clues to take you back to the text, take you back to the Word of God. So even like the first um, explanation of the footpath, there's a clue that he's given his disciples to go back to the Old Testament and say, I know where that is. I know when he's talking about footpath. And, I'm, and just real quick, I'll give you these so you can go home and look at it because this is what God's word is telling us to do. If you have ears to hear, you're going to pursue God and ask him questions and search the scriptures and not be lazy. This is why he's saying, so some people in the crowd were lazy, so they're not going, they're going to listen to him like, oh, that was too hard, I'm out. But yet not understanding that we have full access to come up to Jesus in his presence and ask him questions, just like the disciples. So if you're struggling with God's word today, 
He says, for those who have ears, listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. That means come to him. Ask him questions. Don't be like the crowd that just hears his teaching and says, ah, I don't really care. I just want him to do something for me. No, we want him, church. He is our treasure that somebody, I think on staff, is going to teach about the parable of the treasure. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is the farmer. Jesus is the word. And how is your heart? Is your heart um, like the, is your heart like the, like the uh, footpath, which Satan comes and snatches the word of God away from you? Which in that time, write this scripture down, the disciples would have heard that footpath, Satan taken away, they, they would have thought of Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Break up the hard ground of the footpath and sow seeds of righteousness. That's what they would have heard. So they would have searched the scriptures because he's given them clues in a, in a, in a, um, a form of parable, short stories, illustration, communicating what the kingdom of God is like. And so the kingdom of God is like this. And so they would have heard Hosea chapter 10. The next soil is rocky soil. They would have heard Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24. They would, have heard, um, they would have heard Jeremiah 17. They would have heard Ezekiel 17. And then I heard Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. Because rocky soil, it says that it didn't have roots. So it, the word couldn't go down deep. And so those, how do you make your roots grow down deep? It says in uh, Isaiah 5, it says delighting in the law of God actually helps your roots grow down deep. So this is what they would have heard, church. And then this is what I heard in, in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read the scripture real quick because I think it's, and I think my sister-in-law right here, Molly, she has this. No, she, uh, I thought she has this tattooed on her somewhere. <laughs> she has this scripture tattooed on her as a reminder. Hey, what do you know? We're family. As a reminder, write this scripture down. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. So they would, the, the disciples would not have heard this because this was not invented yet. This was not written yet. They would have heard Old Testament. But what I heard when I read this scripture about the, about the, uh, about the, um, the rocky path is, oh, rocky path, the roots couldn't grow, couldn't, couldn't grow down deep. So what I would have heard was this scripture right here. Let your roots grow down deep in Jesus and let your life be built on him. Not on the rocky path, but let your life be built on Jesus, which actually helps your roots grow down deep into him. And it says this, then your faith will grow. So you want your faith to grow, church. Are you a, is your heart the rocky soil? Then I'm giving you what to do. Delight in God's law. Spend time with him in his word. Let your roots go down deep in him and let your life be built on him. Then your faith will grow and be strong. If, you're, if, you're, uh, um, if your heart is the thorny, the disciples would have, would have thought about Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. And Jeremiah is dealing with, God, uh, with God's people and their idolatry. And then if your heart is good soil, what does he say good soil is it says that your your heart if you have good soil you are going to produce fruit and that's what a believer is supposed to be if you want to mature in your faith there has to be maturing fruit people have to look at your life and be like there yep i see 
Jesus in your life? And how do we know if we're producing much fruit? We have to abide, John 15, remain in Jesus. And then what do we, how do we know what the fruit is? I'm glad you asked. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit looks like this. And he goes on a list of things. Love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, and all these other self-control, faithfulness, kindness. This is what a, when God's word falls on good soil, you're going to produce these types of fruit. You're going to look like Jesus in, in your workplace, at school, at the home, in the grocery store, on the street while you're driving. And so, church, the question is, what soil is your heart right now? And if you are on that footpath, if you are on that rocky, if you are that thorny, come to God. Delight in God's law. Let your roots grow down deep in Christ. Why? Because he's the one that gave us this parable and he gave us the explanation of it. We don't have to wonder. We know what to do as believers. So Jesus, why did you teach in parables? I teach in parables because for those who don't actually want it, they're not going to come to me. But I teach in parables for, for those who actually have ears, they'll come to me. So church, you have ears to hear this morning. Are you going to come to Christ this morning? Amen. So I'm going to invite Pastor David to come up. I'm going to pray. And he's going to, we're going to leave. We're going to do communion. Well, I think we're going to do a song and then communion. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm, I'm just a mess right now. So Father, we bless you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.